Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. They offer just about every battery under the sun, from car and truck batteries to batteries for your trail cameras and rangefinders. Select retail locations even offer cell phone repair and cracked screen repair. Find a local retail location at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast with your hosts, Nate Thomas and Micah Winstead. Hello. <laughs> that was an interesting way to introduce <laughs> yourself. I got to mix it up every time because I'm pretty sure every other time I'm like, hey, how's How it going? How you doing, buddy? How yeah. you doing, buddy? How's it going? Or whatever. So yeah. yeah, had to mix it up a little bit. Yep. We are sitting in my basement on a Monday night. Rainy. It's been raining for two straight days. I know. My backyard looks like a river. Yeah, yeah, you shouldn't blood. shouldn't be a river. <laughs> it has a drainage creek, we'll say, going through it. I think you call it, don't they call those dry creeks or whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. like when it's not wet out, it's dry. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, I get I catch all the rain north of me, and it all funnels through my backyard. The kids like it because they can go out there and play a little bit and stuff. So it's fun for them. Yeah. Literally, my son Lawson was out there uh, in nothing but a t-shirt, running around half naked. You know, playing in. Sounds about right for him. Yeah, yeah, pretty accurate. (laughs) Today's episode, we, damn it, we have got a good one. Uh, I knew I'd say it. It's it's one of my favorite podcasts when it comes to management. Yes. As far as land. and I mean, it's, you know, land and legacy. Some would even say land management. Yes, land management. Yeah. You know, and they do an... An extremely good job of breaking everything down, what you need to do, and all that. And they're very good at what they do. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So to be clear, we're having we have uh, Adam on with Land and Legacy today, mm-hmm. and um, honestly, I could see this being a show, just the beginning of a show I'd want to do with them because we get into all kinds of really cool stuff. But really, what the the main premise of today's show with the, with him is is to kind of talk about that transition from just being a hunter, which isn't a bad thing, by the way. When I say just being a hunter, that kind of yeah. sounds bad. That transition from being a hunter to someone who wants to manage land yeah. for deer, turkey. Quail, he talks about upland whatever. birds quite a bit in there. Whatever. Um, that's kind of what we talk about. And then he gives some some tips to some of – you know, someone who was just wanting to kind of get in. What are some realistic goals um, for people? What should you start with? That sort of thing. So, I mean, and if you really want to get deep into the weeds on what you should do, you definitely need to go. If you More than likely, if you're listening to us, you've already heard of them, and we've mentioned that in the show. But you definitely want to listen to them if you're thinking about doing any type of land management on your property or the property that you have access to because they are one of the top ones. Yeah, they know what they're doing, and yeah, it's a it's a really good episode for someone who's on the. Fin- I mean, honestly, like you and I are, mm-hmm. we're kind of guys that are. We want to be land managers, but we don't know really what we're doing. We're, so we just go and do shit just to do it, 
and then yeah. half the time we're wrong and you know we don't get that food plot to work or we or you that's know, all we're thinking about that's is all, food. Yeah, exactly I mean, right i know the deer got a bed somewhere and stuff and Oh, the places, and to be fair, the places I do hunt, I do see a big quantity of deer all the time anyways. So it's hard for me to put in that extra effort and work because it is, it's a lot of work. It takes a lot yeah. of weekends to get out there and do the things that, you know, Adam's suggesting. So, but it, it's going to make your experience even greater Yeah, it, for your property. I mean, if you think about it, dude, like he says in the show, you got two hours to go out and work. You might could get a food plot started, you know, or whatever. It depends on how bad the area is that you're right, trying to get what going. You're doing, but or you spend two hours, take your chainsaw out, and start doing what he talks about in the show. Yeah, and it make a, and you, and he says you can see results that night immediately. Yeah, yeah. immediately. Yeah. So that's huge, you know, because that's what you want. You want to see the results. If you're doing this and you're not seeing results, then you're not. You're either a you're doing something wrong, or you. You're just doing something wrong. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that, but fool me once. <laughs> just thinking with what is it, George W. Bush on that uh, that Saturday Night Live skit. He's like, fool me once, shame on shame on me. Fool me twice, wait, wait, wait you can't fool me twice. <laughs> anyways, I don't even know where I was at. No, I don't I either. Totally, I totally lost my train of thought. But anyways, give it's the a show, good show. Yeah, it's a good show. Give it a listen. Go give those guys a listen as well. And also, if you guys are looking into the market, maybe doing some changing out your camo this year, we do. Uh, we partnered up with Huntworth. Uh, if you guys would like, uh, you can get ten percent or fifteen percent off. Fifteen percent off. Yeah, fifteen yep. percent off. You go in there, and in the code, you're going to put in M W W one five. So that's the letters M W W one five, and you get fifteen percent off Huntworth's gear, yep. which is already affordable yeah so. it's it's definitely it's a it's affordable gear and it's high quality from yeah. the experience that i have with it so far i, I really enjoy it yeah and i like it yeah so check them out that's our sponsor for today's show and uh micah let's let's just get on into this episode with adam keith with land and legacy ready let's do it this is the missouri woods and water podcast All right, with us today is our friend Adam Keith with Land and Legacy. Adam, how's it going, bud? Going well, gentlemen. Glad to be here. Yeah, <laughs> uh, at least finally glad to be here. We're starting about 20 minutes late. We were uh, having some fun talks before we recorded, and uh, Micah and I have started uh, trying these Zoom calls with our guests that we can't be face-to-face with, and we really enjoy it because we, you know, we're seeing Adam right now, he's seeing us, and um it's you know it's more personal that way well adam adam and i were kind of talking about how i have it all set up and so i unplugged a cord 20 minutes later 20 minutes <laughs> later i figured out how to, how to get to work again yeah so we we don't we never boast about being technologically savvy that's for sure yeah on this show um but thanks for coming on today before we get in um most everybody listening to our show should know who you are uh, you're a fellow Sportsman's Nation Network podcast, but um, why don't you just introduce the listener to yourself and tell tell them a little bit about Land and Legacy. Sure thing. Yeah, so uh, Land and Legacy is a natural resource consulting firm. 
Um, typically working with recreational landowners across the country. My business partner, Matt Dye and I, we started it in 2016, launched 2017, and we have been consulting now uh, from New York uh, to Texas and way down in Florida to way up in uh, North Dakota, Minnesota. Um, we've covered pretty well every state in between, so about 30 states. And uh, we basically just assist landowners and trying to understand their goals, whether it's bigger deer, more deer, healthier deer herd, uh, more turkeys, more quail, or incorporating cattle. Those are uh, kind of the big ones. And understanding their goals, understanding their budgets, and trying to reach their goals while spending the least amount of dollars possible and getting the quickest turnaround. Um, and, you know, growing up with, uh, with a family farm and managing it um, with very low budget, I think it kind of helped us fine tune and say this works for us and it doesn't cost us a bunch. Um, unfortunately, I guess uh, the outdoor industry has really kind of led us into a product endorsed land management system mm -hmm. and uh oftentimes that drags us astray from true results and so we really our business focuses on the principles of quality and healthy landscapes and how to disturb them um, to a point of being very productive um and and being overall a healthier landscape for all game and non-game animals so that's what we do day to day uh we're working with landowners i leave here next week for new york and uh iowa at the end of this week so we're with the landowner almost every week from january till august nice and and you are down south southern missouri uh so once sure. again you know our our podcast is missouri based mm -hmm. for the most part and you know we love the Missouri guys and you're down in Southern Missouri. Um, now you, I can't remember. I think it's Matt. That's not from here. Uh, yeah. but you were born and raised here. Is yeah. I'm born and raised Ozarkian. That's Matt's what I thought. Virginia boy. Um, so and, what is yeah. your favorite thing about Missouri and it's outdoors since you have lived here your whole life? Uh, I'm partial to the Ozarks. Uh, I mean, I love the, I love the prairies. I love the natural landscapes of Missouri, but the Ozarks and the glades and the woodlands mm -hmm. uh, and the crystal clear creek. So if you were to ask me one of my, my favorite spot on the whole state, it's got to be my family farm, but a place outside of my state or outside of my farm would be, I almost hesitate to say this because the cat might get out of the bag, but <laughs> big piney river, um, big piney river and their big bluffs and smallmouth fishing, goggle eye. That's probably my favorite place outside of, douglas county where my, uh, my family farms at nice yeah that that's a it's an interesting question to ask for people who like uh the lady with um missouri department of conservation we had on a few yeah. weeks ago has only lived here for a few years and yeah. you know then you got people like you have born and raised here and it, it it's interesting that the question the answer is always pretty similar uh, except for yours you know what i love about the state is i mean you can drive an hour Hell, you can drive 30 minutes and be in a different landscape than you were half an hour before that. Oh, and, totally. You know, you get you get like five different states in one state. That's what I That's think right. is, is really cool about our state. Yeah, and I should re-answer and say my favorite place for the for the guys that want to go see it is Tanny Como and Branson. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> like everybody. everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
Now, now my dad's gonna be mad because he loves fly fishing at Tani Como. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't think there's any big secret on. No, Tani that's Como. that's true. You could make a good point. Uh, well, uh, today we're kind of we had you on to talk about you and I spoke a few months ago, and we we talked about that transition transition of that that person that is a hunter. And maybe they've been a hunter for many years and they finally decide, I don't want to be a hunter anymore, just a hunter. I want to be somebody who is also a manager of the land. And that yeah. transition from being someone who just wants to kill stuff to wants to someone who wants stuff to thrive so that then they can kill it. You know, it's an interesting kind of paradox there, but um, yeah, I, I thought, think that would be kind of cool to talk about it. What that transition looks like for a lot of people. And what was it like for you? I'm sure you didn't grow up right off the bat being somebody no. who, you know, wanted to give them a good bedroom just to go kill them in it. Yeah. What was no, it like for you growing up? Yeah. I think I was typical. Like a lot of guys, a lot of young kids, um, you go through those cycles where, you know, you're hesitant at the beginning to, to harvest an animal because you're so young um and then you have really a, a lack of respect it's just kind of go shoot something and then you probably live the teenage years just trying to fill tags you're bloodthirsty you're just like let's let's kill them all <laughs> yeah and how many tags mad at get? them <laughs> yeah yeah I, i'm just let's go kill them and then at some point you know i think for a lot of guys like our probably our father's age that you then there's that put food on the table and then later on in life when there's a lot more gray hair than there is brown or black hair, you transition into that conservation side where it's like, I want to ensure that there's this sustainable resource for my grandkids or my kids. Uh, and I think that happens with a lot of guys. And some people listening may think that, oh, that's not, not, that's not me. And it may just be that they haven't reached that stage yet of, of wisdom or, or conservation mindset um, where they're thinking about their kids or their grandkids um, having that ability to, to harvest an animal or to even just see an animal. Um, and so for me, uh, I started out really just, I, I, as a young kid, when Missouri, when I was a young kid, you couldn't hunt in Missouri till you were 12 years old. And so up until that point, I really wasn't that interested in hunting, uh, more interested in four wheelers and tractors and stuff. And then at some point I got, uh, started hunting right when I turned 12 and I got hooked on it and I lived the teenage years going, man, this is fun. We're hunting like crazy. Let's shoot. You know, it's, it's crow season. Let's go shoot crows. It's, it's, uh, it's turkey season. Let's shoot turkeys. Let's fill our limits. Let's just kill, 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 kill. And, uh, at some point in my upper later teenage years, um, I stopped quail hunting for the sake of the fact that there were no more quail. And it was that really that kind of spurred the, this is, this is kind of awful. Uh, mm -hmm. when I was 12 to 15, it was a lot of fun chasing quail. Um, in fact, it was probably my favorite sport to, to, to do favorite hunting. And, and, uh, when I hit about 20, uh, it was kind of like I was in college and I just remember thinking, man, that, that, that the future of quail hunting is pretty pitiful. And this isn't fun. Let's see what we can do for the quail. And then, as you got a little older and late twenties, it was like, man, a lot of people are talking about the decline of the Turkey. And it's kind of like, 
man, and then now the grassland birds are declining. It just seems like everybody starts talking about the decline of whatever species it is that they're interested in. Uh, whether it be monarch butterflies, they're declining. CWD is threatening the white-tailed deer. Um, I mean, outside of feral feral hogs and, <laughs> and bear, I'm not real sure there's a, and, and, you know, coyotes and other predators, I'm not real sure there's a whole lot of, yippee, this is awesome, the population is doing really well. And I think it's kind of fast forward the natural cycle of a, of a, of a guy like myself where I'm much more focused on conservation management now than I, than I, than a guy's generation before me because they weren't as threatened back then. So, um, that's mine. And, and kind of, it's a whole cycle that I think a lot of people go through and we can talk about kind of the breakdown of what that would look like. Yeah. I mean, my, I don't know about you, Micah, but mine's sort of similar, not as much as Adam, because I didn't grow up hunting. I, I didn't, yeah. I, honestly, I didn't even know what hunting was probably until I was almost out of high school. I just, I never really grew up around it. So for me, it was asking those questions. Once I became a hunter, I went through that, that transition to where uh, I'm going to kill stuff a lot because I want to get better at it. And then yeah. I started asking questions to myself. Why, why do those bucks or why do those deer not want to be here? And why do they want to be over there right now? And yeah. Is there a reason why they've done why they've chosen to be there and not here? And what can I do to get them over to here? To get them to to like this better. Um yeah. which I'm not very good at. We'll get to that later, but um <laughs> you know, I, it, for me it was those questions of why? Why do they want to be here? Why are there not turkey here? Why are there certain animals here and not there? That was I think more for me is that that first question of I think I'm still kind of in that early transition, that early period of my hunting career, honestly, even though I've been doing it for a while now, but I'm still kind of in the, what do you call that? The, the honeymoon stage. Like every time I kill something, it's hell yeah. Like, you know, I think everybody's still yeah. like that. Well, but, I mean, hopefully everybody's <laughs> right. like that, but I get what you're saying. You, but I would think that you've kind of had a, you your process is sped up compared to like a lot of ours mine like his growing up kill everything you can get your limits and then now you know i'm getting to the point where i just want to manage i want to i'm going to let that deer go another year or two before i harvest him and start putting in the work to you know farms and things like that so you've kind of already started that and you've only been hunting I mean, probably not half as long as we have. And I think that's because, and Adam, you can talk about like these phases people go through, like you were saying, because I think for me, I was put into a phase just because of the people I'm around. When I started hunting, I started hunting with him and Andy and Russell and all the people I hunt with. And they all were sort of already in that stage where they wanted to manage for, um, you know, more mature bucks and they wanted to manage for better doe populations and healthier does so they might not kill a doe just to kill a doe one year if they didn't feel like they had a a great pop you know a great number of does in a certain area or whatever and so i think i was kind of indoctrinated because of the people i was around yeah you You skipped the the teenage kill years and i i always think of like when you read the stories of teddy roosevelt when he went over to africa and it was kind of like we're gonna get these animals to put in like to observe them and kind of look at them and 
and mount them so we can study them. It's kind of like, what's that? Let's shoot it. And <laughs> as a kid, I remember one time my father, I shot a chipmunk because I never got to see a chipmunk up close. And hopefully I don't incriminate myself with that story. <laughs> um, and because he had his cheeks puffed up and I was like, I want to see what he's eating. And so what is a 12 year old do? He shoots it to look at it. My dad's mm-hmm. like, what are you doing shooting that thing? How dare you look? What are you doing? Are we going to eat it now? Like he had, he was so offended by that. And, uh, I it was like, Whoa, I'm not doing that again, but I got to see it. I got to know what it was doing and what, what it was eating. It was kind of like, Oh, that's really cool. Um, and you, and you, you pretty much are, you know, even the Bible talks about you're kind of a, a product of, of the people around you and you can be easily influenced. And so if you jump into hunting and all your buddies are already years ahead and they're already starting to think of management mindset, you pretty much become a management, uh, management mindset guy. So, you know, uh, it kind of depends on who the people are around you and how they're influencing you. And, yeah. and, uh, Thank God you guys I, are I a bunch of poachers. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> I think I think there's a you can kind of take that cycle or that period of time where you're a manager and you can put it into two phases. And it's the I'm gonna manage so I can kill the biggest deer, and then I'm gonna manage so I can have some other people enjoy this. And I'm kind of right on that line. Um, I I really enjoy like because it's part of our business or it's a big part of our business is. We own farms and it's like, we got to ensure that we can make these farms something that people can look at and say, wow, those guys really know what they're doing when it comes to managing land. But then the other side of me is like, you know, I've shot a pile of turkeys in my life. And this person, like I took a guy the last week of season, he's only ever killed one. And I called that one in for him too. So it's like, you know what, I'm going to shoot one bird this year. You're going to shoot one bird this year. But instead of me trying to kill both my tags. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I honestly don't know where I'm at when it comes to that because there's times where uh, I I am selfish and I, I want to hoard it hoard it all I guess you'd say and I, I wanna I want to be the one that kills the big deer but and yeah. it, but then you know my buddy does it or or somebody else does it and I'm excited for them and um, you know you you get torn you were telling that story about the chipmunk when you were a kid. I've yeah. got a, I've got a similar situation going on in my life right now with my my ten year old son and eight year old son. Uh, they they just really learned how to start shooting, and I trust them both with a BB gun to to yeah. be out on their own outside plinking and doing things. And they both really want to shoot birds. You know these yeah. these whatever. whatever these birds are that. <laughs> You know, no, no birds you're not supposed to shoot, but, and <laughs> I don't like it as a, as yeah. a person because it's a wasteful thing to do. If yeah. they shoot a bird, it's not like we're going to do anything with that bird. And yeah. then, you know, uh, so my son shot, my eight year old son shot his first bird a few weeks ago. And I told him, that's awesome, buddy. Good job. But I don't want you doing that anymore. And here's why. And this might be a little weak on my part. I don't know if, you know, people are going to be laughing, but I just, I'm like, hey, that bird wouldn't do anything to anybody. And, yeah. you know, you're not going to utilize him in any way, shape, or form. So it's kind of wasteful to shoot him, don't you think? Well, I yeah. guess so. I guess you're right, Daddy. But um, and it's the same way. I, I You know, that's a kind of a wasted resource, I guess you'd say, where um, totally. now if it was a coyote running through the field and he said, I'm going to shoot that coyote, I go ahead <laughs> but uh have at it 
you know, that's maybe a little different, but, um, so when that person starts right at the beginning of that, that career, you know, they're out of that killing stage, I guess you'd call it right. That honeymoon stage. Is that what you called it, Micah? I think you called it. I've always called it the bloodthirst stage. Man, that sounds funner. The bloodthirst yeah, sounds a little more serious. Really, it doesn't matter what it is. You just want to make stuff bleed. die. <laughs> yeah, you're kind of in that mindset of like I have, I rule the roost. Like I'm kind of my testosterone's pumping, so you kind of feel like the baddest man around if you're just stacking things up. I I will say that does feel good when you do it. <laughs> like when you when you tag out or whatever for the year, and you know you totally. can be like, yeah, I tagged out because I'm awesome. <laughs> and social media, social media has really driven that even more where you could make that tagged out post yeah 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 don't as get lo- me started on that yeah as long as it's not you know a four corn or something like that everybody's giving people crap nowadays about what they're shooting too mm-hmm. which i'm you not a huge fan I mean, of social media is wrecking havoc on the outdoor industry from the standpoint of like i hunt over decoys so let's just use turkey season mm-hmm. i hunt over decoys well Fooey on you. Well, I shoot TSS and I shot a bird at 70 yards. Oh, I can't believe you do such a thing. Oh, look at him. He's wearing Western camo. And you, you know, when you're chasing turkeys, you got to be hunting in bottomland or real tree. And, and then, oh, you're reaping. Oh, can't you call him? And then crawl and not call him and all that stuff. It's just like, man, you can't look in the world of social media right now and and see. (laughs) and <laughs> not see an argument about nope. the purity of turkey hunting you shoot a crossbow you shoot yeah. a compound you yeah. are i That's mean another big one yeah all these yeah. things that it, you're I, shooting single bevel fixed blades <laughs> idiot and, and you're still shooting two-bladed rages <laughs> yeah we uh, we ha- so this episode hasn't aired yet but we talk about all of our broadhead setups in this this bs session that we had last week and mm-hmm. All of us are starting to branch out and to get into different broadheads. I think Mike is going to try this Thorn Crown broadhead next year, and I'm going to spend half of my inheritance on Iron Wheels, and Andy's might be going back to Rages. And I mean, all of us are like going all these different directions with broadheads this year, and it's kind of yeah. funny because we all started basically shooting the exact same thing. Yeah, and you know, yeah. it's almost like we're bored and we want to just tinker. I don't know. It's it's watching spending too much time on YouTube. That's what apparently, that's yeah. What yeah. Uh, I'll, well, I'll, I'll tell you so I can chime in on on mine. I'm going to be shooting the same broadhead I've shot the last. Well, it's basically the same thing I've shot since 07. Before Rage came out, it was a Rocky Mountain Sniper, and I was shooting Rocky Mountain Snipers. And then Rage came out, and I've shot Rages. And I, a little bit of time, I shot two blade expandable, three blade expandable from G5, um, for other, for, uh, product reasons, product endorsement reasons. But now we shoot whatever we want. Now I'm going to be shooting rages. <laughs> and I have that comment, that conversation with so many guys and they're like, what are you shooting? I'm like, same thing. I've always shoot. Don't change it because yep. it's, it's never really given. It's never failed me too much. So, so remember we talked about going down rabbit holes in this show. So we're definitely oh, yeah. we're definitely going down one right now, but I'm gonna, I love rabbit holes. I'm going to keep going. Yeah. Do you ever go out west and help hunt elk or anything? I've been twice on filming. Uh, I was cameraman. Gotcha. 
I, I was, don't know if it was called elk hunting, but more like a week of like walking, walking around. Yeah, wandering. Uh-huh. That's what we do pretty much. Yeah, we go expensive camping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's like that's one of the reasons I've shot a fixed blade since I've started elk hunting. Okay, is yeah. I don't want to. Ha- I'm just a very anal person, and I can't have a whitetail setup and then like an elk setup. I have to like they have to be the same thing. It's weird for me. So I've shot gotcha. a fixed blade. Um, which we were shooting all slick tricks essentially at the same time. And mm-hmm. long story short, we have no endorsements with uh, broadhead companies either. And so while my slick tricks always flew good, anytime I kill an animal, I was lucky that it dropped in sight because there was no blood, you know, even on pass throughs or whatever. And I'm, yeah. and, and I'm like, you know, that's weird. And I finally had a deer last year that didn't die on in sight. And it was the same situation. No blood. Thank God it died not too far out of sight the next morning when I picked it up or, you know, who knows. So I started thinking, okay, what am I going to do next We got to change something up. <laughs> yeah. And, we've, and yeah. we all kind of had that experience with them too. You know, nothing against slick tricks. I'm yeah. sure they I, work it's great. It's just probably us. I mean, yeah. it's only, what, three or four different experiences. Right. So you can't really say that's a uh, – uh, quantifiable like study or anything but through your own personal experiences you gain your own little set of knowledge that may or may not be perfect but uh, and and that little knowledge shapes what's going on between your ears at the moment of truth yeah and whatever it is that's where i'm like so previously to lana legacy i spent a lot of time filming for various people a couple different uh, sh- uh, shows in the outdoor realm and I went from following different people and filming different people and, and there were guys who were adamant fixed blades and guys who were adamant two blade expandables and there was a pattern that I noticed and it could have been the people using them but the pattern was like I mean ki- kicking and screaming you'd have to drag me to shoot a fixed blade and it's so ingrained in my head that I I couldn't shoot one with 100% confidence like I can with, with my Rage. Um, and I shoot them, and I typically tend to hit a little far back. It's just the way I've always been. I've always been a double lung or a single lung liver guy. I hit a lot of livers, and it's like, well, I'm going to give them a few hours, and it's fine. Don't ever get too excited to go down and get my hands on them right after uh, right after the shot, give them plenty of time. I've never had issues and knock on wood. I mean, that is, I'm saying some very dangerous yeah, things. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, and I wounded a buck last year, but I don't, I'm like, even, even a fixed blade wouldn't have killed that deer. It was the total reaction, 43 yards. He ducked. I hit him high shoulder. Yeah. I, it wouldn't have the way he was going. It wouldn't kill him anyway. And, uh, so I, that's why I'm like, yeah. Now, if I go West, I'll shoot a fixed blade guarantee it right. like I, I just can't fathom a, a a little bitty two blade going through elk ribs but that's a different animal it's possible i guess but oh i'm sure yeah. people do it <laughs> yeah, and there's another yeah. fight people get into on social media is fixed blade versus mechanical I, it's just like yeah uh we've always said on our show i'm not paying for your tag or your equipment so why should i have any opinion as to what you do with it as long as you're doing it legally uh yeah. i have you know I shouldn't say shit about what it is you're doing. Right. And uh, yeah. that's that's what that's what's funny to me on the social media side is uh that society today in general is like you have to have the same opinion as me 
and well, you're wrong. until that happens <laughs> or yeah and so yeah and i think that's some of you know you want to bring it back um that's some of the big conflict i'm seeing in the world of hunting and and conservation right now is there's there's a major division in the fact of where we go from here um especially white uh wild turkey right now is is yeah. a big topic you know you guys in missouri boys we know what happened in 2021 um we know the issues uh I, I, uh, I think I missed the point. Um, cause I was driving through a spot you want to talk about Missouri. I, f- I drove a highway this past weekend on a consult. That's the one major highway that I'd never driven in Missouri. I think I've covered everything else in all my, in my years of work, uh, consulting, but drove through zero cell service or podcast service for two hours. And I think I cut out, but did she have to say how many, uh, Turkey tags were sold in 2021? No, she didn't. We didn't. I didn't okay. ask her that. So I got the numbers and it was just under 10% drop from 2021 from 2020. So there was, you know, a pretty significant drop. I don't think it's enough to justify the, the fall of the wild turkey and yeah. what happened. Um, but that's a big thing. I mean, we can't even get on board with why the turkeys are declining. Uh, it's yeah. predators. It's loss of people hunting. I don't know. It's, it's, we've got a long it's a long way to go. Yeah. I mean, and everybody's got an opinion. I've got my own. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. But, um, you know, my opinion is they're an animal that when their eggs and their first month of life is really freaking easy to kill. Yeah. And, you know, you add an exponential number of growing predator populations, um, whether it's coons or possums or do armadillos eat, by the way? Turkey. And they oh. have found armad. They have far- found armadillos. Someone said that, and we don't have. It's not them. like they're seeking them out, but opportunistic. Yeah. Right? Anyway, yeah, we uh, don't have them this far north. Yeah, yet. we don't have them here yet. But uh, no kidding, not yet. We that there's been a some few. Mine if you want them. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. think you can keep them. Um, yeah, you know, you have this growing number of predator populations. I mean, look at the coyote. It's as healthy as it's ever been, and the raccoons, and mm. you know, and uh, it's such an easy animal to kill when it's tiny or not alive. <laughs> And then tiny. Um, yeah. Well, look at the landscape change. I'll yeah. point it back to habitat and always will. Um, I mean, regardless of the increase of predators, we haven't given them a place to hide. Right. Uh, we've turned our landscape from a very productive prey species with very diverse, lots of prairie, lots of old field, lots of fence rows that have been cut and more of a shrubby component sapling component because we were cutting fence posts out of the trees that were growing up in the fence line and now everything's grown up our forests are overstocked um our fields are either cut for hay or overgrazed there's not much native prairie we're missing that mid-level uh habitat and that's where we need nesting and then if fires included that's where our brood rearing habitat comes from and i've heard so much talk about what do we need to do for the wild turkey? And it's like, uh, we need to knock it down to one tom, or we need to knock it down to two weeks, or we need to remove the fall season. All that is just affecting the adult birds. So if all we did was knock it down to one, one tom in the spring, two weeks instead of three, and then we remove the fall season, all we're really doing is ensuring that a decent amount of adult toms wouldn't get killed. That doesn't that year. That, the yeah. factory of producing them is the problem. It's just like I, I use the analogy on our podcast is 
if you've got a whole bunch of steers out in your in the, in the barnyard and you harvest you shoot one every couple of months to eat beef and you're not doing anything to make more eventually you run out of steers to shoot and so we have to fix the problem of producing them long before we talk about not shooting or limiting adult harvest yeah i think the thing that's freaked me out the most in our show with Raina uh two weeks ago was the the hen to poult ratio is less than one now it's like a point yeah. eight and it's so terrible. when a hen can't even replace herself throughout her lifespan not even annually but throughout her lifespan uh, that doesn't sound like a good thing to me i'm not a no. mathematician but eventually you business. get yeah eventually it's you the get business. To zero. it's a dying business right yeah so yeah, yeah I mean, it's definitely thing, and you know they're doing some studies that she talked about these backpacks and sounds cool, <laughs> but you know I don't I don't know enough about the studies to know what they're going to gather from those in a few years. Um, but I mean, doing what you do, you see the habitat change, and she talked Darn. about it in the show from the '80s till now. The landscape in our state and a lot of states has vastly changed. Um, yeah from i'm to the point where it's like i'm i'm researched out we know what the problem is let's fix it let's use our dollars and go and fix it rather than let's research research sooner or later it's like we know we know we get it we know what the issue is we have to put on put that put that research on the ground and fix the problem yeah and and guys that right there if you're looking for a loop it all the way back to what the topic is that's where i'm here that that's how i've made it to this point where Way to bring if it I back, right back to the topic. Well done, Adam. <laughs> yeah. That is an experienced podcaster right there. <laughs> you, t- you chase a lot of rabbit trails over on ours, and so you're always looking for a way to loop back. But And that's wh- that's where we're at. Is, um, you know, I, I lived my teenage years and early 20s talking about the decline of the, of the bobwhite quail. And here I am, now we're talking hardcore about the decline of the wild turkey. And it's like, you know... It would have been nice to live out my 20s and 30s and 40s of just filling tags and putting deer on the wall, but that's not the time. Uh, we can't be that anymore. We have to be more conservation-minded, and we have to think. Now, here's the great thing, and and I and I've kind of I haven't even talked about this on our own podcast, but the wonderful thing that I see occurring is that there's more people talking about native landscapes for white-tailed deer. There's more people talking about things to do for the wild turkey and things to do for the quail. And at the end of the day, there's a few variances, but it all really is the same. Early successional plant communities, removing invasives, disturbing the landscape with fire or thinning timber, um, just trying to make a diverse landscape. And so if a guy focused solely on quail, he could have giant bucks. If a guy focused solely on turkeys, he could have giant bucks. If a guy focused solely on giant bucks, he'd probably still help the quail. If he understood it correctly, it wasn't just feeders and minerals and food plots. If he was like, no, I need to work on my natives, he'd probably improve it for the quail and turkeys as well. And I think in 2021, as we move forward over the next several years, if we get more guys on board with saying, okay, I, you know, maybe, maybe we do bring the guys that are just looking to kill the biggest deer in town and win the big buck contest. But as, as long as we can get him on board with disturbance and, and, and doing some more landscape management, at the very least, we know we're doing, we're doing good, even though his idea or his goal is different than ours. The process that we're doing is about the same. Yeah. That's, that's one thing I was thinking about asking was, you want 
better deer on your property, I would have to imagine that would help other animals as well. I mean, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm sure deer and turkey aren't using the exact same things, exact same features and all those things. But if you're making a better habitat for animals, you're making a better habitat for animals. That was always my thought. And uh, yeah, sounds like it's pretty, pretty some true. Of the, some of the biggest differences I would say is um, when we're looking at trying to create bedding for a mature buck, I like to have higher stem count, lots of woody structure, which is probably a few years too dense for a, for quality nesting for a, for a turkey. But if I'm just, if I'm using prescribed fire, that's a wonderful thing about our state. So we can burn pretty regularly and don't have to go through excruciating government legislation to make it happen. Um, Lord help us. I hope we never get there. <laughs> um, and so we can just disturb it, use some of our north and east slopes to have more high stem count for, for mature bucks. Then that's going to be fine. Um the wonderful thing is brood rearing habitat is the same as native summer forage for white-tailed deer. So I think if we can just get more guys burning and thinning some timber and removing invasives, at the end of the day, giant deer can show. Would have been a good idea to do it my spot this year. Burn? Mm-hmm. Didn't, didn't think of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll show you. I'll show you. Let's just talk uh, for, for the outdoor industry. The last, since the 90s, food plots. What are some of the main things been pushed? Food plots, food plots mineral, minerals. feeders. Um, just as in recent years, it's been hinge cutting. Um, but overall, it's been product, 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 product. When really, it's, you should talk eight times about natural landscape manipulation or disturbance and two times to use a product. If you really want to squeeze everything you can out of that sponge being the potential of your land. I was going to show you guys a book um, for, for you guys. It's about, about a 193-inch buck that we grew in the Ozarks. Dear Lord. There you go. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. That that yeah. That's pretty impressive for the Ozarks. That, <laughs> yeah, and we grew that six acres of food plots, about 400 acres that he lived on that we uh -huh. knew of. Timber cut, burning, removing invasives just getting weeds everywhere. I tell people all the time, if I'm going to be a land manager, I want to be a weed farmer. They always look at you trying to figure out what kind of weed <laughs> you're talking about. But uh, that's what we're focused on. And uh, and if I'm focused on that, I can help my turkeys, help my quail, help my deer, and get everything I want and still know that if I walk away, there's some several years ahead that the wildlife are still going to be thriving. That's that's pretty cool I, he makes a great point you think about everything that's pushed and while it's a i mean it's not a bad thing for a deer to have a food plot and mineral and uh different things like feeders um i guess they get to eat but it's kind of yeah. like it's kind of like uh you need a have you need a 360 you need everything right it's you like having that of box of brownies yeah they they taste good but eventually they're the pack 12 runs out and then you're yeah. left with no food well think about it like this long before i mean when did when did uh mineral feeders and food plots really come out sometime in the 90s some of them maybe late 80s white tail deer have been long been here long before the 80s so they were living off something 
before we came along was like, no, you have to have this to make them survive. And, and so for us, it's just like, um, really trying to create to me. I mean, I'm 33 and I hope Lord willing, uh, I live a long time, but at some point in my life, I want to write a business plan. That's like, here's the land. This is what you need to do at what time of the year you do it. So the next person comes along can see it and be like, all I have to do is, all I have to do is cruise. I don't have to fix all this. I just cruise. Um, and, and I mean, that would be ideal. I don't know if we'll get there. Don't know if it'll happen. Well, Uh, and you make a good point though. Uh, not, not to cut you off. Sorry, but, uh, I think that's what sometimes that new person that wants to manage land or be a, a land manager can be intimidating is, they just don't know what to do. Uh, I'm one yeah. of them. I, I have ideas and I listen to you and I think I can execute things you're talking about. And then I'm like, well, wait, what about this? And I think that's a lot of it is when you're in that first stages of when you're not Adam, Keith, and Matt die, and you're in those first stages of I, I want to stop just killing stuff and I want to start helping those things that I want to kill. Yeah. Where you know What do you do to start? And Micah, you were at, you were talking about uh, a question before we started. Yeah, like um, so we got our property. We just we moved on in our stages. We we're wanting to grow things. We we're wanting to better everything. What are some realistic goals as far? Let's give it like a two year time frame or realistic steps a new person should take. Yeah, you know when they want yeah. to say this is what I want to do now. How do I start? Yeah, uh, and I, that's a great question. Um, what I would say, I tell this to so many guys, and I can make a pretty good assumption here, but for most guys, if they have timber on their place, the worst thing they could do is to not do anything. You're disappointed in me already. So <laughs> we call it analysis paralysis, and you can analyze it to the point of paralysis to the point where, I mean, if you listen close, you can hear Father Time just tick, 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 tick. And if you hear a whole lot of ticks and nothing has been disturbed, no trees cut, no fire implemented, no invasives removed, it's degrading. We're in a cursed world. The land is degrading with time. And so the last thing I want to see is somebody preserve a place to death. I hate it. That's my big complaint with wilderness and the government landscape is like, that's, it's terrible. Um, it's just, the trees get old, they get overstocked, disease comes in, they die. Um, and then they're just laying on the ground decaying and it's just a horrible thing. So realistic goals. Um, I think one of the biggest reasons why people get scared of timber harvesting and, uh, burning and old field management is I don't want to mess this up for the next 20 years, which you can, that's a, you go in and clear cut it 20 years later. You can tell your work was done. Nature is very, very enduring. And if you go in and you, let's just say there's 2000 trees in your forest, and you cut a thousand of them. It wouldn't take that much time. And those other trees would have it closed back up. And so for me, realistic, if you go in and you take, because one of the big things we promote is temporary forest openings or bedding thickets. If you go in and you've got 30 acres and you cut out 
three areas, about an acre, where you've just selected low-quality timber, cut it all. Within one month, in fact, within the night, there would be deer there most likely. Within the next day, there would be deer bedded in there. And within the next hunting season, guarantee you, and I don't guarantee a lot of things. In fact, most common answer you get out of me with land and wildlife is it depends. <laughs> but I can almost guarantee you that if you have a place in northern Missouri, central Missouri, southern Missouri, and you go in and you cut in a uh, half acre to an acre and you just, let's just say you flush cut half the trees and you hinge cut half the trees. I can almost guarantee you by the next hunting season, you're going to see deer coming and going and utilizing that far more than a food plot because quality cover is way more important than quality food, in my opinion. And it's way more limited. And so guys in, in crop country where it's just crop fields everywhere or the occasional pasture and you've got woodlots, I'd be in there in those woodlots cutting in some bedding areas, thick, nasty, questioning, is this too thick? No, probably not. Uh, just don't hinge cut everything. <laughs> and, and if you're cutting, I mean, most of the time in a lot of forests, it'd be, it'd be hard to find a forest that has veneer quality timber scattered through it in, in this day and age. Um, so you go in and I, I would bet you that half the trees growing in there are chunky and aren't going to produce a log in the future anyway. So if you could start cutting, if you, I mean, how hard is it? It's a crooked tree. Okay. It's probably not, it's probably not going to be timber value and it's an L. I mean, let's just learn simple tree species, learn the top five in my area and then go, okay, elm, sycamores and um, maples. I'm going to cut all those in, in these little areas. And I, it's amazing how quickly, how quickly um, the, the deer use it and turkeys nesting in it. Um, it it's, it's pretty, pretty awesome. And it happens within the night and it happens within the next hunting season for sure. Well, that's that makes it easy. I'm just gonna cut down all the trees where I'm hunting, except for the one I'm in. <laughs> the yeah, night before, I, I want to kill him, and he's dead. No, I'm just I, I don't think you were listening <laughs> to what he was saying. But I, uh, I look at it like this: it's like cracking an egg. And if I've got a woodlot, crack an egg, and all the white is the area that I'm not really cutting a whole lot, but the yolk is where I'm cutting it very densely. And then come October 28th, I'm hunting on the downwind side of it. And that's the thing about land management to me and that whole transition is that I do all that. And even if I'm not hunting it, it's young forest. So it's lowering stress levels during late winter, early spring, because woody browse is the number one food source. And so I'm putting more woody browse availability uh, on the landscape during, during this most stressful time for a lot of guys in middle midwest and northern climates yeah um so i'm doing something i'm diversifying the landscape too so it's much better for birds it's much better for turkeys it's much better for woodcocks um, all kinds of animals are benefiting because i've added a diversity uh, or a different uh, habitat feature on my farm you just i mean it's funny how i've never put those things together that i listen to i mean i listen to you pretty pretty near every week and yet yeah. I don't put together on the own, my own place that I'm sitting here worried about that Micah knows exactly where I'm talking about. Even this year, I'm sitting there going, I'm, I, I need to be worried about this food plot that I'm trying to get going and, and all this. And I should be worried about doing the cutting that we keep talking about doing that we don't do. Yeah. And well, 
Maybe I'll maybe I'll be smart this year. No, I will be. I'm not going to worry about the food plot. I'm going to stop messing with it because it it never works anyways. And I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm going to cut. I'm going to do the stuff that we say we should be doing anyway. Um, plant it in the fall, or I mean, I don't even have my summer food plots planted, but plant in the fall. Plant just any. I mean, I <clears throat> personally I love perennial clovers, chicories, alfalfa, all mixed together. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, uh, how how many times? Do I go to a farm and there's food plots there 95% of the time? How many times do I go there and there's quality cover, quality bedding in the timber? 95% of the time, it's gone. It's not there. And guys, I mean, it's the number one thing that guys will comment, uh, clients of ours, is like, I had food plots for years. I had deer, a lot of nocturnal bucks, a lot of pass through and. Uh, pass through bucks. Now that I have bedding thicket all over the place, deer come here and they stay, and they're here through the remainder of the fall or until I kill them. Yeah. And you know, it, that's where I've found a place that I'm very comfortable and I enjoy because we're doing things that are really helping the deer herd out, but we're also making the hunting a lot better. Yeah. And uh, for a lot of guys, that's it's kind of hard to find those those places where you can have your cake and eat it too. It's just funny I never put two and two together because on an, another farm that I don't hunt anymore, um, I was talking to the guy that now hunts it, and we were just kind of uh, BSing together, and the farm got logged last year. Yeah. And, and he's like, man, it's going to be horrible next year. And I, I sat there and said, dude, I, I really don't think so. I think they're going to love that. Uh, it, it just mm-hmm. opened it up. Um, you know, I guess I, I've not, I haven't been there, but I guess they opened up. They basically made these huge tracks all the way back through the timber where, you know, they had to get their equipment back there. And I'm like, I I would guess those deer are going to use that like a super highway because it's, 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 it's just easy. It's fresh soil. It's, um, I, I, I told the guy, I'm not, I'm not a land manager, but I would feel like that might be a really good thing for you this year. Whereas he's worried that it's going to be a bad thing yet. Then I can't take that same, thought and apply it to the place i'm hunting it's it's just odd yeah. that you know i never even thought that way and it, i think that's because yeah. you you have a person that is in the very beginning stages of that transition from killer or hunter to land manager or wannabe land manager yeah and yeah, yeah that's a good start yeah. starting point is right there what adam just told everybody i mean listen and, to him right I, there and i want to answer Mike, a question a little more clear for mm-hmm. guys on how quickly can you see this? And you'll see the changes of deer response and wildlife response almost immediately. You'll see it changed. Let's just like, I, I use the analogy of young forest. That's immediate. Uh, old field where we may take an old pasture and spray out the cool season grass and all of a sudden other weeds grow up. You'll see that within a growing season. You'll see deer change and use that within a one hunting season. Um, ultimately though, I guess the big question is, are we going to see a change in the overall size of the deer or the numbers of deer numbers of deer? You can totally see a change within the first hunting season. Uh, I've seen it personally. I've seen it on clients' properties where you just make your property more sticky. 
if you have dense cover and as they start shifting around all during fall, moving from place to place, depending on hunting pressure, and they find yours, it's like, wow, this is dense cover. That's what I've been missing. They start sticking around. Um, but seeing the overall size change, it's usually within, a, you know, maybe three plus years. Because think about it this way, is size of bucks is based on three things, age, nutrition, and genetics in that order. So you have to get them old before you'll start noticing a change. And how do you get them old? Stop shooting them or get your neighbors to stop shooting them. So if you have dense cover and have the ability to hold them through the most crucial part of the season to where they're not getting shot, and that two-year-old now made it to three, mm -hmm. or a couple of those two-year-olds made it to three, you can start seeing the change of the overall size of the antlers. I've seen it personally. I mean, that buck that I showed you guys earlier, 193 donuts, product of that. He was a 105-inch, 3.5-year-old, 138-inch, 4.5-year-old, 193-inch, 5.5-year-old. Wow, that's a what huge a jump. jump. Yeah. Gee, he man. was an 8-pointer, eight 8-pointer, eight mainframe 11. Unbelievable. Is that Making on your, jumps that, was that on your farm or was that a, a client's farm? Our, our, my farm. Your farm. Yeah, wow. my farm. Which only has probably 25% of the general recommendations yeah. done that I would make on clients because – the old phrase is the cobbler's kids don't have shoes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's hard for me to get there during the fall or during late winter, uh, to work when I'm traveling so much. Yeah. What is the, uh, okay. So, you know, that's, that's some of the uh, first steps that a person can take is, you know, a realistic first goal, focus on the bedding and the, the timber, instead of the the food and the the plots i think uh, focus on the cover yep and then focus on the food it, you build off a cover then you focus on food too many guys focus on food and they say well they're bucks there but they're all at night well it's because they're coming from three quarters of a mile away because that's where they found quality cover that's why i think a lot of guys who work on small properties end up having more success than guys that work big properties because the small property guy goes I'm going to have cover, I'm going to have food, I'm going to have water, I'm going to have multiple types of food, I'm going to have apple trees, I'm going to have all this stuff on his 30 acres when the guy with 200 is like, oh, I've got food plots, I've got one bedding area, when the other guy on the 30 acres has all of it. Yeah. What would be some of the, uh, so you got those first and second steps really, is you focus on the bedding and then the food, not, you know, in that yeah. order, not food, food, food. What, yeah. as a, as a person continues down that, that path, you know, maybe that those first two years that they've got a property, they are, they did all their cut and they want, they yeah. got all the trees that's starting to grow up now. What's something else that, you know, they can kind of take it over the edge a little bit more. Yeah. So overall, I look at it like this first, I mean, this is what I, I build plans for on a weekly basis mm -hmm. is always focus first on the bedding tickets and the food plots. So I've got those established. Then my next steps would be edge feathering because edge feathering is helping uh, improve my access. Um, it's helping add more diversity, but ultimately it's making deer feel more comfortable going into those food plots because there's cover around them. And we use two different ways of edge feathering and some of it is called closed edge feathering and some is called open edge feathering. And closed is basically improving that edge, but cutting a few trees in a strategic manner parallel with the edge of the food plot to create that barrier that deer aren't going into the food plot on that side. So it helps shrink up big food plots into a, uh, at a, into a layout that allows us to hunt them and get them within range. 
that's usually the third or fourth step. And then once I do that, like the initial hunting strategy is laid out. I've got dense areas of bedding. I've got quality food plots. I've got edge feathering and my access is good. Now I work off of how to make them overall healthier. And it could be old field management, which is just spraying out a lot of the cool season grasses for you guys in your part of the world. It's either, I mean, I'm going to take an educated guess here and say it's probably tall fescue, but more than likely it's smooth brome grass um, filling in those old fields. And um, they don't provide any food hardly at all or cover value, but yet they're everywhere. Um, so I'd be spraying those and then TSI and or FSI and forest stand improvement or timber stand improvement, depending on if I'm managing to get timber harvest out. And that's going to overall put more cover on the farm, but not in dense areas. So it takes the attractiveness of our bedding thickets away. So it's that summer food because I've opened up the canopy and I've got forbs growing and then there's stump sprouts providing winter food, but it's not so dense yeah. that it's pulling deer and making their patterns scattered again. It's just it's those open air, you know, like those open forests that you always would picture this majestic deer walking through because it's wide open and, you know, only a tree every got, 30 yards. Scattered trees yeah. and even have kind of denser trees, but there's still sunlight coming to the forest floor. Mm -hmm. And so you've got, you know, three, four foot tall saplings and, and forbs growing through it. So there's just, it's, it's not leaf litter, it's green vegetation. Yeah. And once I do that, I mean, guys, a, a closed canopy, closed canopy hardwoods produces about 50 to hundred pounds of forage per acre. And an adult deer eats about 2000 a year. So if you had 200 acres and it was all closed canopy, so let's just say 75 pounds of forage produced, most of that in the form of acorns in the fall, it's not even year round. That's tooth. So I said 200 acres with closed canopy, that's 15,000 pounds of forage. But you divide that by 2,000, that's seven and a half deer on 200 acres. And that's, I mean, that's so much of our landscape that we see. And now if you, if you throw it in and say it's all cedars, then that's way less than 50 pounds because it doesn't produce hardly any forage. And so that's one of the huge issues that I'm seeing for guys. It's not just about uh, killing big deer. It's about feeding those deer and giving them quality cover. And, oh, by the way, that quality cover, uh, that woodland-type setting that I said, mm -hmm. is not very conducive for predators. They don't like running through dense cover, coyotes especially. So kill two birds with one stone. Perfect. Not every deer uh, – let's, let's see if I can pull this one off. Not every – Deer habitat improvement is a coyote hunt, but it is. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. Like that. Uh, you know, and, and, and I mean, to answer, to, to talk about the coyotes too, what are coyotes' main diet? It's not adult deer. No. Nope. It's not even fawns. It's rodents. It's um, rabbits and rats. And so if you add more of that on the landscape, you get more rodents. Therefore, you have buffer prey where coyotes are chasing the rabbits and the rats rather than adult deer. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, those are some good pointers for that that new person, that new land, land manager, like really like us, who are uneducated enough to screw things up. 
And, you know, I, I guess you can't really screw things up if you're not doing anything. Like you were saying, it's always degrading. But um, I think that's that's a big point is if you if you have a property, educate yourself on what to do. Um, honestly, listen to Lake and Le- Land and Legacy. That would help you a lot. Yeah, if you <laughs> start number one, work your way. I don't know what episode you guys are on. but and then just A lot further <laughs> than us. Yeah. But that would definitely start at 250. Yeah. 250. Is that when you all guys got good? Was 250 or? (laughs) Yeah. I think we, we worked out the kinks. (laughs) We got a while to go. Yeah. And you know, it's, I mean, it, it makes sense. Everything you say, it makes sense. But when you're, when you're in the weeds, quote unquote, as a new person that it just got out of that stage of, I just want to kill stuff. So I want to help those things. You know, you can make mistakes and I've been making them for, four years now at this new place I've been hunting where it was mineral, 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 food plot, food plot. I've been, I've been trying to get a food plot to work there for four years in, in the middle of the timber, which is closed canopy, by the way, pretty stupid of me. And, and just this last year, we talked about, we need to go back in there and, and do some cutting and some, and some opening up of the really thick, nasty areas that, you know, you can't even walk. You can't even potentially walk through with a machete, um, you know, we need to do some work. And so if other people are out there listening on what, where's that transition and where they should go, I mean, they just got some good pointers. There's obviously a lot more than that, but uh, we only have, you know, about an hour. Yeah. You got to start <laughs> yeah. somewhere. Yeah, oh, totally. And and the last thing, like I said, the last thing I want to do is just not do anything at all. Um, I see it so much and it's frustrating. I think even if a guy went out and it's like this guy, they listen to this podcast and they say, this guy's completely lost his mind. He's talking all about native plants. I can picture him. He's got a ponytail with rubber bands in the back and he doesn't ever kill any deer. Um, I'm not that guy. Sorry. Um, and I still kill a lot of really good deer and, (laughs) If all you did was just go and say, okay, I don't believe half of what he said, but I'm going to try just one thing. Go into your go into your closed canopy hardwoods and select an area where it looks like you don't have a ton of big trees. And you're like, this kind of looks like junky timber. Just cut a half acre. And flush cut, and by flush cut, I mean anything from your knee down. Don't sink the bar into the dirt but knee down and then hinge cut a few smaller diameter trees mixed in, make it thick and nasty. And then go back in a week and see if you bump any deer. Yeah. Those trees, I got a question. Those trees that you're, um, you're cutting all the way down. Are you just leaving those there? Are you hauling those out? No, just leave them there. Leave them, drop them, them. drop them and go. I've seen, I've seen so many posts on social media where guys are like, I'm making bedding, and they cut all these trees, and then they drag them off to the side. And what do they do? They throw them in a pile, and they probably don't make it back to burn. And what do they do? They create a house for a predator, for a coyote to den in, or skunk to den in. It's like, you're... If, if I've said one thing, uh, if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. I hate cedars. But if my sole job was to make game species struggle particularly turkeys and quail mm-hmm. um, and even deer. The one thing I do is let the forest grow up. I never touch them. I'd let them be closed canopy now to the second coming of Jesus Christ. I'd never burn. I'd never remove invasives. And I'd plant mediocre food plots. And what is that? That's what most of us are doing. It's like if I had the job to make this worse – 
That's what I do. And that's what people are doing thinking they're making it better. We are succeeding, Micah. Yeah, good we're job. doing real good. At <laughs> we are making it worse. <laughs> I thought when you said if there's one thing I hate in this world, you were going to say cedars. <laughs> no, I can't hate on a native, but I can sure gripe about it. Yeah. Uh, aggressive tendencies. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because I always, before I started listening to you really, you always hear people talk about all oh, these cedar thickets are great. It's it's great for, you know, bedding areas. It's great. They like to get in that cover and, and this and that. And I always thought, oh, man, if you got a bunch of cedars on your property, you're you're golden. And yeah. that's not necessarily the case because no. they do a lot would, of bad things too. Those short five foot down bushy ones scattered out with some grass mixed in, that's great. But when they get tall and rank and you, it's like stepping in the refrigerator when you go in it, it's, it's past the point of being productive. Mm-hmm. And the only reason the deer probably use it is because it's the best form of cover in the area. Um, a, a dense oak stand doesn't provide that. And well, so it's like i can't use this as my own dr craig harper out of tennessee used it one time and so i'll give him the credit but he said it's it's like seeing a gar a homeless man eating out of the trash can doesn't mean it's a good food source it just means it's the only food source and when you see deer bedded in those very dense stands of cedars doesn't mean it's a good co- it's good cover it just means it's the only cover it's what and it's their option and i have a great example of that one of my uh where we go up north, uh, where we stay at and stuff. He, uh, he, he's a big time farmer. He's got quite a bit of ground and his main area that he hunts is literally 80 acres and then it's majority cedars. And he kills, yeah. a, he kills a huge deer every year, every year yeah. he kills a huge deer. But if you back up on the overview, there's not much around everything else because yeah. once they get in there they just stay there because that's all they got that's what they've for got a while and i mean i'm not gonna yeah. go in and i can't go in and tell him well you need to cut down all them cedars when he's killing 160s <laughs> 170s 180s every year i mean i mean i'm not yeah. gonna you know it'll be like hitting a board it ain't gonna do nothing talking so, to the wall he's not gonna listen yeah 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 yeah. So. yeah and so what i tell a lot of our guys especially like if you clear cut the whole thing yeah deer would certainly change but start thinning them out try to because once they get so dense, they lose their lower needles anyway. And so it's just like, it's pointless. I don't, I don't understand the love with it, but, um, they smell good. Yeah, they do smell good. <laughs> They're awesome to hunt out of, but yeah, I'd sure cut them. Yeah. I'd start thinning them out for sure. That's cool. Well, man, we could continue picking your brain all night long and, um, you know, go down this, this transition road even further, but, um, you gave the listener quite a bit of information as especially that person that's just just getting started down this this path of I want to do better for the land which will do better for the animal and yeah. I mean Mike and I we're we're in that boat I think Andy's kind of in that boat we're all we're all wannabe land managers who really don't know what to do so sometimes we either make the wrong decision or we just don't make a decision and yep. like you said that's that's one of the worst things to do is to not do anything so yeah um, i've seen a 16 inch walnut hinge cut 16 inch dbh so very close to being a marketable log and i looked at it and i thought whoa that really hurts but at the same time i'm like at least he cut some trees down yeah, at least he did so <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, uh, Adam, we appreciate you for coming on, and especially this late at night. Um, before we hop off, why don't you tell everybody how they can uh, get a hold of you all, listen to your show, 
Uh, if someone is out there interested in, in doing some consult with you, uh, tell them how they can get a hold of you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it. Um, we're on social media, just land and legacy, use the and sign. Um, and we're also on YouTube and then our weekly podcast is on the nation, just like you guys are, uh, just search land and legacy. Um, if you're interested in our consulting services, we have a website that's landandlegacy.tv. Click the cons- uh, consultation tab and you'll be directed to an email at info at landandlegacy.tv. Nice. And I can't speak for Matt because I haven't met him yet, but I'm sure he's a nice guy. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know if you know this, Adam, but I am going to give you a, a, a thank you. Um, through, let's see here. Over three years ago, you and I had a phone yeah. conversation. Where yeah. you encouraged me to attempt this idea of starting a podcast. Yeah. And, you know, two years later, uh, I was starting that podcast and it was, it was a good portion of it was the, the words of encourage, encouragement you gave me at that time um, that helped us kind of, I don't know, get yeah. brave enough to, to try it out finally. And I wrote down every little thing you told me about the pieces of equipment you have. <laughs> And yeah, it, it, so it's, it's, it's not coincidental that I've got the exact same recorder as you. Uh, that's because I wrote <laughs> yeah. it down. But, um, so I just want to uh, say, I want to tell you, thanks for being such a nice guy and, yeah. and, you know, talking to some stranger three years ago that you had no idea who I was. And I, I think I called you and you answered the phone and we, we spoke for a good half hour and it's just yeah. some, some strange kid that called you. So, um, yeah. I want I wanted to tell the listener that story to kind of give them an idea how how nice of a guy Adam is and I'm sure Matt's cool too I just don't know him. So um, <laughs> he's not quite as nice as me. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's not from Missouri, so we'll have to give him a little bit of a break, but yeah. Oh, that's awesome. No, man, I I, I appreciate you saying that. That was a uh, I actually remember that phone call. I I have several people have reached out to me. Dan sends some guys my way and I'm yeah. always like, "Do it." I mean, what's the worst thing? You you figure out a year later and you're like, "Well, nobody's listening, but you're having fun." I mean, that's the point. And I and uh, as long as you're consistent with the content, people listen. And when you're putting out awesome content, I mean, my gosh, it's it's a lot of fun. It encourages you to get outside and go yeah. get more content. I mean, the best thing, I mean, it's probably one of the best things you guys are always hunting, thinking about content, thinking about things you can talk about. You've got all kinds of listeners now, and hopefully they're in, being inspired as well and going to do podcasts. So, yeah. yeah. We're consistently bad, overall, aren't we, buddy? Yeah, I'm we got that down. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we love, you know. I mean, uh, well, I mean, we love listening to guys like you that honestly are just, uh, you and, and Matt, are just, re- you guys know what you're talking about with, with your podcast. Uh, expertise and level of skill when it comes to that stuff we just you know we can bs we can bs <laughs> and, and we love the outdoors and we like talking about it and we always do yep. so that's kind of why we started yeah. but i thought the listener would like that story but um so you know if you don't for some reason if you're listening to our podcast you should really already know about land and legacy if you're not you should definitely go check them out they're on the same network as us uh, or you can just search them Land and Legacy on any of the podcast platforms, and they will be there. Um, and if you don't have anything else, Micah. No, I think we're good. Uh, we want to thank Adam again for coming on, and um, if you don't have anything, we're going to hop off. All right, you guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, thank bud. All right. Thanks, everybody, for giving that a listen. Hopefully you guys took something away from it. Uh, we want to say thank you again to Adam for coming on. Uh, and again go listen to his stuff if you guys really want to get into it and you know hopefully yeah hopefully you know 
you can go out there, cut some trees down, and you know, see some good results. For the listener that wants to know what podcasters listen to, Land and Legacy is a show that I regularly listen to. Yeah, it's one of my top um, five. It's one of the shows actually. When I'm doing like a long drive for work, I that show I'll stay more awake when I'm driving because mm-hmm. I do have a problem with well, getting it, tired because it, it's it's there's information in there that makes me think mm-hmm. and so I stay awake and mm-hmm. it, it's one of my f- go-to shows when I am on the road driving yep yep absolutely so yep thanks you guys for listening and like we said in the intro if you guys are looking for some camo go check out Huntworth uh, you can get 15% all you gotta do is add MWW15 yep so alright thank you have a good day